Uh, some of you guys know this, we're foster parents, and um, so, yeah, thanks to the two people. Um, so here's, here's, what, here's what fostering is. Basically, uh, parents do awful things, uh, not always to the kids, but they do things that aren't great, and because of that, their kids, for their safety, get taken out, um, and so we help those kids. We stand in the gap until the parents can get their life together, if they can, and 80% of them do, and then they get their kids back. And so we just got two new uh, foster kiddos yesterday. Um, They are three years old. They are um, fraternal twins, a boy and a girl. And some of you, you already know, you're already, because I've talked about this before, like I'm afraid of having a girl. Like I'm I'm deathly afraid. We've had boys up until this point and boys are easy. If they fall over, who cares? You smack them upside the head like it's fine. Girl, I'm afraid of it. And I'll tell you, this is what happened. We walked out to the car. We walked out to the car. They're getting out. They're all like, you know, like this is weird. This is, who are these white people? Like what's going on right here? And immediately the girl looks at me and walks up to me, and she's like, hi, look at my dress, daddy. And I'm like, oh, quit that voodoo right now. That was not fair. That was not fair. And she sat in my lap last night. It's just, anyway. So because they were coming over, we got to get some new beds. And so we, my wife decided, hey, Hal has way too much free time. I'm going to Ikea. So she bought these beds. And let me just say this. When you see, if you come to our house and you see them later, you're not going to understand why I'm saying this. But Ikea is from Satan. Like, the way that you put stuff together, like, these beds are so simple looking. I've put together so many things. I fix stuff, and I start to just do it on my own, and it's like, I'm getting mad. I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. There's four of the same exact things. Each time I thought I had it, Each time I said some words that were not God honoring and had to open the instructions back up to see what these stupid Swedes wanted me to do. Like I was, because, because it was so specific, every single piece, it looks the same. You will walk into my house and you will be like, I don't understand this. And I'll say, well, you know, that's fine. We don't love you. Go ahead and leave. But (laughs) I'm kidding. That won't happen. But it's just like, it, it was so frustrating. Here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. Tonight, what we're talking about, in your mind, we're going to take a walk, okay? We're going to go through some things, and I need you to follow along with me. Please, to you, the best of your ability, don't assume where I'm going. Don't assume my next step. Don't assume what I'm saying. Just kind of walk along with me, because this is an idea that flows together, and this is idea that really, this is the toughest thing right now for your age group, and really for anybody in the United States, and that's the idea of evil in the world. It's the idea of injustice in the world. It's the idea that if, if there is a God, then why are these things happening in this world? If there is a God, then why are these things happening to me? And so this is a serious topic, but let me, let me help you understand this. This is actually a first world problem with God. North America, Canada, Europe, this is a a problem. When they see suffering and all this in the world, they wonder if there's God. This is not a problem for third world countries. In fact, when you go on mission trips and you go to these places, when I've been into Haiti and all that kind of stuff, and all these things are happening, none of them are saying, is there a God? None of them are saying, is there a God? They're actually thanking God for what they have. But this is, this is a first world problem, and this is the way it goes. This is the way the argument goes. It's this. If he's good, he would. If he could, 
he would. Meaning this, if God is good, if he is actually the loving God that we say, if he's actually a good person, he would take care of this. There's no way a good God could see all this struggle, all this pain in this world and say, that's okay. Or if he could, he would. Basically meaning if God is powerful, like you say he is, then how is he not doing this? Or maybe he's just not powerful. And the idea from this is if God can see these things going on and he is a powerful and loving God, then how can these things happen? But let me, uh, this is a little bit of a side. If you've ever or had somebody around you ever leverage the suffering and pain in the world against God, I want you to proceed with caution with commentating other people's pain for your conclusion. And here's what I mean by that. Because many times, and I think you'd find people in this room and you'd find people around the world that would say their pain and their suffering did not cause them to doubt God, but actually drew them closer to God. And so here's the deal. If, you're, if you haven't walked in their shoes, don't assume your destination. Don't assume because you see it and you think that way, this is the way it is. Because what we're doing, and this applies in everything, what we're doing when we do that is we are insulting them. We're calling them dumb because they don't understand what they should think with this going on around this. And this is something that new atheists are very, very guilty of. But let me say this. If you're going to use the world's pain against God, then you need to talk to each person personally to find out if it was something that brought them closer or took them away. Because many times, extraordinary suffering often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. We actually see extraordinary suffering actually leads to extraordinary confidence in God. And one person in particular is a guy named Francis Collins. And he wrote this book called The Language of God. And let me say this, for those of you who are science people, and your hardest part is understanding God and science and putting those two things together, The Language of God is an incredible book. Francis Collins is a conservative Christian but believes in macroevolution. He believes in macroevolution. So if you've never thought there's an ability to take science and God and put them in the same place, this is a great book. But here's the reason why I'm saying this. Francis Collins in this book talks about when his daughter was in college, she was sexually assaulted. And his problem from that was not wondering if there's a good God. His problem was figuring out how to forgive the person that did it. And what he would do is this, is he would say, hey, if you're using pain and suffering in the world, don't use my pain and suffering against God because my pain and suffering actually drew me closer to God. So that's just an aside, just something to think about. Let me just say this, your pain and your suffering is the things that you can use and you can hold on to. I'm just wanting you to say, don't look at everything else and assume that. And here's what today's argument, really what we're getting to and what I want you guys to understand is that pain and suffering isn't an argument for or against God. It's a reminder that we need him, okay? Pain and suffering is not a a argument for or against God. It's a reminder that we need him. And here's why, and here's why. And this may sound harsh right off the bat, but just listen. Uh, There's no rational argument against the existence or involvement of the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. No rational argument. There are emotional arguments. Emotional arguments. Very powerful emotional arguments. And don't tell me, like, I'm not saying that I wouldn't sit down with you right now and you would tell me what happened to you and you would say, why did God allow us? And I would just be able to say, this is why, because I don't. I, I know there's very, very emotional arguments, but when you take the motion aside and you look at the God of Jesus, 
you never see a rational argument for that. And here's why. Christians have never made the argument for God's existence based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. You've never heard this. You've never heard a Christian say and looked in the world and said, wow, bad things never happen to good people. And since bad things never happen to good people, God must be a good God. Or bad things never happen to Christians, so those who follow God must not have anything bad happen. That's never been an argument, but is an emotional argument. It's an powerful argument, but it's just not a rational argument. And here's what I want to say. It actually brings up a very different argument. Let me say this. Injustice in the world actually calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. We're walking, okay? Walk with me. Walk with me. It, it doesn't call into the, the uh, existence of God. It calls in the justice of God, which means this. It makes more sense to be angry than atheist. It makes more sense to be disappointed in God, mad at God, angry with God, than it does to choose to stop believing in God. Because, here's the deal, there's, it's two different arguments. There's a difference between arguing God's existence and looking at your experience. There's a difference between God's existence and your experiment, your, your experience. Because the Christian argument, and we've heard this before and we talked about this last week, is this. Nothing existed, then something existed, and something can't come from nothing, so something had to create that thing. And so we believe that thing that created all of it is God. We talked about this last week, that God is spirit, and because he is spirit, he created all this world. He created all this earth. He created all the laws of nature and thermodynamics and all of these things. And because he's supernatural, he brought Jesus into this world, and Jesus did miracles, and he did what nobody else has done. He predicted his death, and he predicted his resurrection. And when he rose again, we're like, all right, we can listen to everything you say because you pulled that off. And he said this. He said, this is what God is. This is who God is. And so we know this. We know that we believe in a God. The question is, the question is, is this. It's not whether or not we believe there is a God. It's, is there a just God? Is there a just God? It's kind of like this. If my son came up to you and he started telling you how bad of a father I am, how I never pay attention to him, I never play with him, I ignore him, I allow people to beat him up, you would assume, you wouldn't assume that I don't exist. You would assume I'm a bad dad. You would assume I'm an awful dad. In fact, the, the fact that you're talking to my kid proves that I exist. In the same way, when we see all these things happening to the world and quote unquote God's children, our natural reaction is not to assume that God doesn't exist. It's to wonder what his justice looks like. So let me ask this question. Why do we assume if there's a God he must be good and just. Why do we assume that? This is a very important question for first world thinking because you hear it all the time. You hear people say it all the time. I don't believe in Christianity, but I believe in a good God or a loving God. But if we're going to leverage that against God, he had to have said it. So, I mean, it's the same thing. If you came up to me and said, how? I'm so mad at you. I'm like, why? Because you told me you had black hair. I'm like, I've never said that. It's the same thing with God. If you go up to God and we say, hey, God, you're supposed to be just. Where did we hear that from? Somebody told you, right? And it started probably at the dinner table for many of you, right? God is great. God is good. Let, him think, let us thank him for, his, for our food. You know that doesn't rhyme? God is great. God, it should be God is great. God is good. Good. Let him thank us for our food. No, no, but nobody had a problem with that. But where did they get that? 
When you're growing up and your parents said, hey, God is great, God is good, God loves you, God cares about you, where did they get that? They didn't get it from observing nature, right? When you look at nature, you don't see justice, you don't see good and fair. They didn't get it from the ancient gods back in the day. In fact, back in the day, ancient gods, the reason they believed there were gods was because of injustice, because of bad things. They were looking in the world, they're going, man, there's so much crazy stuff, there must be a God up in heaven who's just messing with us. That's why they believed that there was a God. So why, if none of the ancient gods, none of those gods said they were good, why do we believe this? Why do we believe this? It's because of this. The justice and dignity God for all was introduced by Jesus. First time ever. You guys, this is... This is a big thing to understand because people claim this all the time, that God is love. The first person to introduce to the world that God was love was Jesus. Up until that point, gods did not love their people. They tolerated them. If their people actually sacrificed the right amount, they may actually protect them. But the first idea of God is love came in the Bible. In fact, it came with John because he writes the verse that we all know, for God so loved. He wants to say Jews because he's Jewish, but he looks at what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. He goes, for God so loved the world. And this idea was introduced at a time where there was not justice or dignity for all. This was introduced at a time where we understand this now, where the rich made the rules, where the powerful went against the unpowerful, where people were dying all the time, where women had zero rights and were used, where kids that were, were, were basically kids who came from poor families weren't even named because they weren't even sure they were going to live. Like this is a time of absolute, the opposite of dignity and justice, but that's a time where John looks at the world and looks at God and says, God loved the world. So how did God, how did first century followers embrace a God that is love looking at the world that is around them? And I got to say this, guys, I want you to understand. If the idea of God being love was so fragile, was so fragile and could be argued out of existence between the, by the idea of pain and suffering, it would not have lasted the first century. We've talked about this. They were being thrown in the Colosseums. They were being burned at the stake. It was illegal to be a Christian. Yet for some reason, it grows so much that you actually see Christians all around the world today. Actually, what's crazy about Christianity, Christianity is the only religion that has no base. It moves into places. And actually, what's crazy is it moves into places of persecution. I don't know if you guys know this, but the fastest growing churches are not in America. They're in India, in China, in Russia, where it's illegal and you can be shot for being a Christian. In fact, here's what's crazy. There is more Christians being martyred today than there were before. We don't hear about it. We don't know it. But in places where there's intense persecution, the church is growing. 1 John 4, 7, 8 says it this way. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. He doesn't just say God is love. He goes, God is the source of love. Love. He says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not know God, who does not, does not know God, for God is love. God is love. People believing the idea that God is love is not original. This is not something that people just came up with. This is totally based off of the words that Jesus said, because without Jesus, you don't get to this place. 
Because when you look in the world, when you look at nature, you don't see justice. In fact, Stephen Hawking, incredible mind, incredible scientist, was speaking at Cambridge University, and he decided to to kind of talk about the idea of why he's afraid of this entire process of what is biology and what is natural selection. He said this, he goes, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. And natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. See, I would love to get into all this, but it's an incredibly long thing. You can look up on on the internet. It's everywhere. But here's what he does. He says after that, he gets into it. He goes, here's the deal, guys. The only way the human race is going to make it is if we start colonizing other planets, because if we all stay together, we're going to annihilate each other. Because someone who absolutely believes in natural selection or someone who absolutely believes in biology, he's someone that says, guys, if nature plays its course out, this is what's going to happen. That's why it always cracks me up when I hear people say, oh, nature is so nice and serene, and you never see, you know, animals going to war. I'm like, have you watched the Discovery Channel? (laughs) Seriously, I was watching the Discovery Channel the other day. I decided, hey, everybody's watching Meerkat Manor. Let me throw it on. It's so cute. They're, like, running around. This is awesome. Then all of a sudden, this other clan comes over and kills all the babies of the other one. I'm just like, what the heck, man? I'm sitting here traumatized, and then next to me is my five-year-old going, why are the babies sleeping? And I'm like, oh, no, man. (laughs) Why? Because nature is not just. Nature is not good. Someone who deeply understands natural selection knows there's no justice, there's no dignity for all in a world that's determined by survival of the fittest. In a world where if it's all biology, where the entire idea of mind and will and value are all illusions, where dignity is not possible. See, natural selection doesn't leave any room for justice or love or dignity or even unjustice. At best, natural selection knows tolerance, knows tolerance. And so when you see this, really, I want you guys to understand, if you flip this idea around, the best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God. Here's why. Because once there's no standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. Once there is no standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. See, when you get rid of God, you get rid of the standard for justice. You get rid of the meaning of justice. God has that standard. And here's the problem. When we leave God to the side, when we take God out of the equation, what we're left is with something very different. We're left with my justice and your justice and Nazi justice and ISIS justice and majority justice and clan justice and nature's justice and street justice and rich justice and power justice. There's a lot of people that believe, guys, people are just basically good. No, we're not. If we were, we wouldn't be here. There's an incredible video on, on YouTube with a guy named Rabbi Zacharias. If you've never heard him before, incredible, incredible mind. But he's having the conversation about this topic. He's having this conversation about justice and how when you take God out, this is what happens. And a guy comes up to the mic and he goes, hey, why are you so afraid of subjective moral reasoning? Here's what subjective moral reasoning is. It's the idea that people have the ability to come to a good place for justice naturally. He goes, why are you so afraid of it? 
He, he's kind of calling him out. He's going, why are you so afraid of that? You look over in China and all this. He goes, I, I feel perfectly safe walking around the street. I don't understand why you're so afraid of a subjective moral justice. And Rabbi stands up and he goes, hey, I got a question for you. If you believe people are so good, do you lock your door at night when you go to bed? The guy's like, yeah. And he goes, here's what you got to think about. Think about this for a second. Just really think about this. Look at the areas of the world where Christianity has not had a foothold, okay? Look at Asia. Look at China, Russia, India, those places. Do you see a higher level of justice? Do you see a higher ability where they are all about life? No, what you see is something very different. You look at China and what, what happened? They go, all right, everybody's only allowed to have one baby. So you had thousands of baby girls dumped in, into dumpsters. You look at Russia and you look at these places and you look at India where there has been genocide on top of genocide. Here's what's crazy. When you look at our world as a whole, if Christianity hasn't had a major foothold, the level of morality is greatly decreased. I mean, look in those areas and the way they treat women. Look at where they're at and what rights they have. It is so drastically different. Why? Why? Because even in places like Europe where Christianity is no longer a strong world religion, it came through and it gave them a basis for justice. See, without God, we have no one to appeal to. When we reject God, we actually don't solve the problem of injustice. We lose the definition. We lose the definition. So the question still remains. So Jesus said God is love, but what does he say about justice? And, and here's the deal. Jesus has an answer for us but we don't like it. We don't like it. Third world countries are perfectly fine with it, but we don't like it. And, and remember this as we go into this. A complaint is not an argument. I, I've said it a different way. Uh, just because something is unsettling or uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not true. Doesn't mean it's not true. Something can bo be both uncomfortable and true at the same time. So what is true is this, is Jesus brought us God is love. He did, but that's not all he brought. We love the first part. We love the first part. We put it on everything. People who don't even believe in Christianity have God is love on their shirt. We love that. Anytime somebody tells us anything, we're like, but God is love, God is love. We say it all the time. We love God is love, but guess what? That is not all he brought. That is not the entire story because the Jesus that said God is love also said God is just. God is just, and the hard part is this. In the future, in the future, there will be the very thing we have accused God of forgetting happening. Justice for all. But here's the problem. This is where we run. There is no justice without judgment. We hate that word, right? That's an awful word. No, you can't say you judge me in judgment. Oh, I, I want a God that's love. I don't want a God that's judgment. I'm like, but you got a tattoo that says only God can judge me. You're like, yeah, forget it. I'm going to take it off. Like, like, I don't want that. We want God is love. We don't want judgment. Here's what we want. Here's what we want. We want a God that is all about justice and does all these things but is not a judge. Here's the problem. A God that doesn't observe, a God that doesn't use judgment cannot be just. What we want cannot actually happen, cannot exist. See, we resist the judgment side because we know we fall short. We know we do. 
Because if there's a God out there, then we know, of course, we fall short of him because we look at our lives and there's things we know we ought to do and we don't even do. So if there's a God that's perfect, we know we fall short. And what this does is this exposes our hypocrisy because we say we want justice and we say that, but we're like, I want justice for you. I want mercy for me. I want you to pay for everything you've done to me and my family and my friends and my country. I want you to pay for all those things. But when it comes to me, I want to be able to sit next to God and explain my case and him go, you know what? I was wrong that you were totally right. Come on in. You're fine. We don't want to go through the same thing. We don't want this to happen. Think about it. When you think about judgment, are you nervous for other people? No. Who are you nervous for? You. We're nervous for us. See, guys, but get this. This is why the gospel narrative is so amazing. This is why when you read through the New Testament and you see what Jesus said and Jesus did, it all makes sense. It's so perfect. You look at it and you're like, how in the world could someone have come up with this? See, this is why the church survived because of this. When God saw a fallen world, when God saw people who weren't making it, when God saw all this problem and all this pain and all this evil, he didn't send a judge. He sent a savior. Jesus says it this way in John 12, 47. He says, for I have come, for I have come to save the world, not to judge it. Not that the world doesn't need to be judged. Now, the world doesn't need to be judged, but I have come to save the world, not to judge it. God sees, he goes, here's the deal. The world has evil in it. But before I pass this ultimate judgment, before I judge, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a savior. There's a parable that Jesus told in the Bible. And for those of you who don't know what a parable is, it's just, it's a made up story to help people understand. Um, and Jesus is telling this parable of this elderly woman who had something that was wronged to her. And she was going to this judge, and this judge was evil. And it says he was an evil judge, and he didn't believe in God. And she would go to this judge, and the judge wouldn't hear the case. And everybody who's listening to this is like, I understand this. Because back then, if you didn't have money to bribe the judge, he wouldn't even listen to your case. He would, and they're like, oh, I understand evil judge. I understand. This is something we all deal with, Jesus. This is a good story. Keep going. And so he's like, here's what she did. Every single day, man, she badgered him. She went to his place of work. She saw him in the parking lot. She went to the store. She's walking down the aisle going, hey, you need to hear me. You need to hear me. You need to hear me. And finally, the judge, just because he's so tired, so tired of listening to this lady complain, decides that he will render her a just decision. Luke 18, 78 says this. It says, even he, this is Jesus speaking. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? How many people on this earth will he find that understand while they may not have justice in this world, they will have it in the end? See, when you reject the God of Jesus, we reject the basis for justice and dignity in the world. And you're left with biology. And with biology, there is no dignity. So when we embrace God, here's what he gives us. When we embrace God, we get dignity now and justice 
later. Guys, just think about this for just a second. If anyone, anyone had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. The man who taught us that God is love, that told the world he was worth dying for, that said, I love all those people, those same people killed him. Those same people did those things. See, evil and justice are not arguments against God. It's evidence that we need him and that we need grace because we all mess up. See, I think this, I think when we look in the world and we see all this pain, we see all these problems, all it is, it's a nagging reminder that something is wrong and something needs to change. It's a nagging reminder that we maybe should be somewhere else. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it this way. It's so, so good. He says this, if I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, if I find myself longing for something different, the explanation is I was made for another world. And God's going, there is another world. And the next world, there will be no pain. There will be no injustice. There will be no crying and in all of these things. But, but we have to believe him now. And Jesus said he wants us there with him. This is something, I think this can stick in your mind. What you know could be, and you know should be, Jesus said will be. What we know could be, when we look at the world and we go, this should be different, Jesus said it will be. See, guys, get this. Suffering and injustice, they're not evidence against God, they're evidence that we need him more than we realized. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the gospel. God, I thank you that you love us this much. God, I thank you that we can come together and talk about these things. God, I pray right now um, that you would just work on our hearts and our minds and understanding. God, if we don't understand something, God, I pray that we will ask questions and get to an understanding. But God, what you've done for us, the narrative you've given us. God, I pray when we look at this world and we see all these things, God, I pray instead of wondering if you exist, we grow closer to you because you actually bring what we need. That you bring us that dignity. You bring us that purpose. And in the end, you do bring us that justice. God, thank you for being a God that's perfect that we don't even understand. Thank you for not judging us early and giving us a chance to actually get to know you and make the decisions we ought to make. God, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.